0: When the world has got you
1: down Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal. Love. This is Love Conquers Alls. A real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's. The good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here are your hosts, you Susie Singer Carter sing and me, Don Priest.
0: Hello, everybody. It's Susie Singer Carter.
1: And I'm Don Priest, and this is Love Conquers Alls. Hello, Susie. Did you hear that? What was, was that?
0: It was a ding on my computer. It was so, so amazing. A ding?
1: I didn't hear the ding, but you know, you know, it's that's life. It's, you know, we're live and we're, well, we're not live, but. We are alive and that along that goes computers and dings and all that stuff. Thank you.
0: Wow. So astute.
1: I know. How are you and doing, deep. Doodles? I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. We're uh, you know, just uh came off of a weekend. You had an exciting weekend, didn't you? This weekend.
0: I did. My little my little granddaughter just turned one and we had and we call her little froggy because she for some reason my daughter thinks she looks like a little froggy, but she's so gorgeous and she looked incredible. So we did a froggy themed party. And if you guys want to see some amazing decorations, <laughs> I'm not, i not I don't usually brag about this, but feel free. What? Feel free. Feel free. So, yeah. I I first, my daughter made the most incredible, she's an incredible baker. And she made this beautiful cake that was a frog that is so incredible. And it sat on top of this red and white toadstool plate. And it's just so beautiful. And then I provided the crudité in these uh, sculptures made out of melon and watermelon, cantaloupe and watermelon that are frogs. And all the crudité coming out of their mouths, including a fly on a tongue, but not a real yes.
1: Thing. And do not think for a second that there will not be accompanying uh, photos. Uh, if you're watching this currently, fabulous photos. If you're listening to it, just go use to your my okay no, well, go, go to, go yeah, to go, my Instagram. Okay, t- go to yeah. Instagram,
0: Susie Singer Carter, and I will and I'll proudly show them off because I was so I was so excited about them. It came out beautiful, and if you want to know how to do it. I'll i I can give you the uh I'll put it in the show notes. Why don't I put it in the Do show Do that. Notes? Yeah, because it's so much fun and it looks it looks fancier. It's yeah, does it take time? Yeah, but it's not that hard. It, at the end of the day, it's not that hard. So um yeah. And, anywho,
1: especially if you have someone to help cut the vegetables. Hmm, who would that be?
0: Oh, well, you know, oh you yeah, a good friend. Yeah. If you have a sous chef. Like, like I, like or a Don a, chef, a Don chef you're, for the the, sous
1: chef, you're the sous chef. I'm the Don chef.
0: That's right. So anyway, but it was so much fun. We had fun. I love a good theme. I love a good theme.
1: Give you like a theme.
0: theme. I do. I do. <laughs> there were, there were toadstools and, and froggy things all over the place. It was so much fun. Um, in
1: fact, send your suggestions as to what other crudité type animals Susie can make, and uh, maybe <laughs> she'll do that for you.
0: Okay, so today there's we have a great guest who I just have a feeling is so special just by reading all her stuff and finding out we have so much in common in terms of music. And her background and, and um, I mean, she's younger than my mom, but she also was in that 50s, 60s era of music, which is so exciting and so powerful. And anyway, how she used music in, in her caregiving is just incredible. And, um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, right, Dawn?
1: Yes, absolutely. She has a remarkable story, and I'm going to tell you all about it right now. Mary Lou Falcone is an internationally known classical music publicist strategist who for five decades has helped guide the careers of many prominent artists including Van Cliburn, Gustavo Dudamel, Renee Fleming, Sir George Solti, and James Taylor. She has advised many institutions including Carnegie Hall, Chicago Symphony, Los Angeles Philharmonic, Philadelphia Orchestra, New York Philharmonic, and Vienna Philharmonic. Nicholas Nicky Zahn was a popular 1950s rock and roll musician who became a world-renowned cartoonist, illustrator, and painter. His work has been credited with being the inspiration for Roy Lichtenstein. For 37 years, they filled each other's lives with love, laughter, and music. But their journey together took a dramatic turn when Nicky was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, an often misunderstood and widely misdiagnosed form of the disease that is the second most progressive form of dementia after Alzheimer's. After Nikki's passing in 2020, Mary Lou chose to inspire and give hope to others in her poignant memoir, I Didn't See It Coming, Scenes of Love, Loss, and Lewy Body Dementia. She bravely and boldly shares in detail her late husband's struggle with LBD, providing informative, compassionate, and inspiring insights into dementia. She takes readers on a cathartic journey of caregiving that is filled with hope, laughter, and tears, making stops along the way for music, romance, and surprises. Transformed and energized, Mary Lou Falcone is now combining her communication skills with her background as a performer and educator, becoming an advocate for Lewy body dementia or LBD awareness. And we are so looking forward to sharing her amazing outlook and energy with us today. So let's say hello to Mary Lou Falcone.
2: Hello, Susie.
0: Hello, Dawn. Hello, hello Mary Lou. <laughs> this is so great. We had technical difficulties, but we're here. We made it and it's all Good. I say Yay. the harder it is, the better it's gonna be. So we're gonna have a fantastic interview. And um, gosh, I'm I I told you a little bit a couple of minutes ago, I'm so excited to talk to you because your background in music is is so similar to my mom's. And we and music was such a big part of our relationship as she journeyed through Alzheimer's. And uh. Yeah, and my mother started singing opera at, at 10 years old, 9 years old, and was um working with one of the big the greatest, you know, proteges in New York City at the time and you know, really found her her way through life with her voice.
2: It's it's a god-given talent that takes us on a journey that we didn't see coming.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's, and it is a God given because, you know, I say that her voice was, you know, this, this incredible instrument that you can't, I'm sure she trained, but it was, you know, it was extraordinary. It was, you can train,
2: but, but you, but but the gift is the gift.
0: The gift is the gift. Yep. And so tell, so tell us about your gift first. I want to hear about your gift and, and what it is, and then we'll move into how you used your gift so beautifully.
1: Okay.
2: Hey, well, my gift early on was this thing called a voice. And basically, I found out at age nine that when I sang, all the adults in the room began to weep. Why was that important? It was important because between nine and 10, almost age 10, my dad had a massive stroke. And it uh, it was so horrendous that he never spoke again for the rest of his life. And that allowed me to to become an adult very fast. And in becoming an adult, you know, in those days, we were in the 50s. You didn't talk about family situations outside of the family. And so, therefore, no one knew what was going on in, at home. And I had to keep rather silent about my my feelings, my emotions. But singing, I could invest everything into singing and emotionally just let it all out. And that's when the adults in the room got the message that something was going on. And that was the beginning of using a talent in a way that changed my life. It's
0: incredible. And so young. And and again, it mirrors my mom, the conversations that I've heard from my family that would say that, you know, my great aunts that would say they her nickname was Lovey, my mom, and they'd say Lovey would open her mouth and we would we would be frozen. We had to, you know, it was it was just amazing, her, you know, this 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 tiny little thing with this powerful voice.
2: Yeah.
0: And and sure. it is and it is um it it
2: transcends everything, right? It transcends. It, it does. I think that you know. I my belief is that we're the vessel. I I didn't believe for one minute it was me. It was the voice coming through me to articulate. And that voice at the beginning was the singing voice. And as I got older and decided that that singing was not, even though that's what I was trained to do, I felt that my my ability to communicate took many forms. And the most powerful form for me was speaking. Mm. My dad couldn't speak at age 10. As I mentioned, he was 37 years old when I was 10 oh. years old. And he very young man, Gosh. prime, everything was, was going for him, upwardly mobile, the whole nine yards. And then this massive stroke, which was misdiagnosed. And in the process, I learned that communication was probably one of the most po- important elements in life and how I chose to communicate then became a, a study, a life study.
0: Wow. It so resonates with me because as as Alzheimer's progresses, you know, inevitably we the we who suffer with it lose our ability to articulate we don't lose we our don't. ability to communicate but we are we do lose our ability to articulate with words and so exactly right right and so i had to find a way which of course i i have i am a big old blabbermouth so i did talking for both of us and <laughs> and also used music and used the same way i would with my children before they could speak is there is a non communication you know i mean you know there's non verbal communication that is powerful Right? Oh,
2: absolutely. My my husband, my late husband, Nikki Zan, didn't have Alzheimer's. He had Lewy body dementia, which is a cousin to Alzheimer's. They're very similar. But the very big difference is that with Alzheimer's, it is a slow and steady descent. And with Lewy body dementia, it's like being on a roller coaster. One day, the person is 100% who they are, the real person all there. And then the next day, that same person will look at you and say, who are you? And it goes back and forth, which is cruel and inhuman, but that's what it is. is. And so um, my late husband also was into music as a as a teenager. He was a rocker. Now, everybody says, oh, yeah, well, sure. Everybody had basement bands in the 50s. No, Nikki was on the same stages. Nikki Zan was his name. Nikki was on the same same stages as Jerry Lee Lewis. Patsy Cline, um, uh, Johnny Cash. So he was out there as a for real rocker as a teenager. And by the time he was 21, he decided, nope, my art is more important as in fine art and and, uh, illustration and caricature is more important to me than singing. I've done the singing thing now for seven years. Now I'm going to be an artist. But the singing thing never left. It never leaves you. Uh, including the last stages of his Lewy body dementia. When one day I was sitting in my office, which is across the hall from our apartment, and I heard the piano wailing. Now, Nikki could barely walk at this point. And all of a sudden I hear this rock coming out of the apartment. Could only be one person. The music never left. That was always there. This
0: is so extraordinary because... You and your husband Nikki so similar again to my mom. I keep bringing it back, but it's just such a it's so part of my my fabric of my life is that she too like she signed with Capitol Records and was singing with like the greats and had her own radio show and was you know singing contemporary jazz uh, at, at all the clubs in Los Angeles. And then when she got her deal, they wanted to send her on the road, and she was like, "I don't want to go. That's not my life. I have other things I want to do. I can always sing." And she gave up that career of singing to do other things that were more important to her. But as you say, the singing never left. And the singing was a part of our
2: lives from the day I I could
0: listen, you know.
2: And and the person with Alzheimer's or with Lewy body dementia, that's in there. That never leaves. The core is part of it, which in my belief, and this is just my belief, but I believe that the person is there, whether they're communicating or not. That person is in there someplace. And so every gesture that we, we provide, the, the loving hand in hand, the, the kiss on the cheek, the hug, all of those things mean something because somewhere in there, they're receiving. Hundred That's
1: why we always said, yeah, we always said that, you know, people, some people say, well, oh, well, you know, they have, they're not going to know if you visit them or not they're not going to within five minutes or two minutes they won't even know and it's it has nothing to do with up here and it's all about here
2: right and oh. that's
1: and that's the part that stays with you yeah and then-
2: you're so right it, it is it's the heart and the soul that take it in and the verbal communication leaves we understand that yeah but the feelings are there absolutely there there was a uh toward the end one day nikki said to me um I said, do do you know who I am, Nikki? And he said, no, I don't. But it's all right. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe the sound of the voice or the the touch, whatever it was. He knew he was safe. Right. So, you know, there are many ways to communicate, aren't there? So many ways. Just words.
0: And I love that you wrote about this. And I love that you're spreading the word about this disease that, you know, is, is not as well known and as Alzheimer's and, and, and that said, Alzheimer's is not well known. You know, people think they understand it, but they don't. And so no. you bringing it to light with your book and, and with your personal journey is so important because it's, it's what I try to do is to, to let people know that they are still there. And and whether they're you know losing some of their uh, their rational thinking, their intuitive thinking is deep there, deep, and will always absolutely,
1: keep
2: absolutely. And you know, with, with Alzheimer's, with Lewy body dementia, as you said, Lewy body dementia is not rare. It's not well known, but it's not rare. Right. It's the second most progressive dementia, a form of dementia after mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. Affecting 1.4 million Americans—that's a big number—and not big to mention number. family members. You know, can mm-hmm. you
0: can you describe what it is, Louie body? Because a lot of pe- the first time I heard about it was one of my one of my mentors who used to to run the Los Angeles Alzheimer's um, chapter. Her mother had Louie body, and I had no idea what it was. So I, I don't know if if. So Louis
2: body, you begin by it's it's memory loss for starters. It's it's inability to to retain um daily functional things. You just you do know, you'll forget how to brush your teeth. You'll forget sometimes how to walk. I mean, it's it's there's a mobility issue involved in this as well. So it is is mental acuity that that just is waning. And very often Louis body is. Is present with Parkinson's. It's called Lewy body dementia with parkinsonian aspects. And when Parkinson's is is there, the whole mobility issue becomes exacerbated and exaggerated as well. So you have you have problems walking, you have problems sw- um, swallowing, you have problems grasping anything. Your hands will will betray you, and then the memory goes, and then things like anger issues uh, come into it. But all the while, this is fluctuating. And that's what makes it different than Alzheimer's. Also hallucinations. At the very beginning of of Lewy body dementia, very often there are hallucinations, either visual hallucinations or auditory hallucinations. In Nikki's case, being a musician, it was auditory. He would say, do you hear the music coming out of the pillow? Mm
0: -hmm. And my answer was Mm -hmm. no,
2: but I know you do. Mm -hmm. Do you hear the voices coming out of the faucet? No, but I know you do. So it's all of these things wrapped into one. It started for us, uh, we were in Vienna and one night we were supposed to meet at a restaurant that he knew well. It was a block and a half from where we were staying. And all of a sudden, an hour later, Nicky wasn't there. I got very frightened. I went out to try to find him. Mercifully, I found him walking toward me actually in the main square, which was a miracle. And as I looked into his eyes, I knew something was dramatically wrong. And he said to me, you, you didn't write down the address. Now he was never accusatory with me. I mean, that was unusual. And I said, you know what? You are a hundred percent right. My bad. I should have written the address down and I didn't. I am so sorry. And then I began to notice memory issues. I began to notice he would trip and fall. You know, things began to accumulate. And by the time it was diagnosed, he had already gone through triple bypass surgery, which had exacerbated the situation. Sometimes anesthesia is your worst enemy Mm -hmm. and that uh, you're supposed to get better after triple bypass surgery. You're supposed to have more energy. You're supposed to be more mentally uh, acute. None of that happened. It just got worse and worse. And ultimately it was diagnosed as Lewy body dementia with Parkinsonian aspects.
1: Wow. Did, you know, you said sometimes it would go in and out, like one day he would kind of be back. Yes. Would, would that include the physical? Could he then know how to brush his teeth or was it? Only oh yes, the absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. everything comes back. Everything
2: comes back.
1: Amazing. You know?
2: And and also if I would remind him or no, Nikki, your, your right leg is dragging, he would correct it right. immediately. So it, of course, then, you know, down the road, it gets to the point where it's not able to be corrected. But even at the end, I mean, a couple of months before he he died, he said to me, Mary Lou, you have to write. And I went, write? Write what? You know, it didn't mean anything to me until he passed. And then I knew what I had to write. I had to write about our journey mm-hmm. for two reasons. One is to put a real spotlight on Lewy body dementia, which is not well-known. I mean, the two phrases that I get all the time are Louis what, and mm-hmm. how do you spell that? If you can't spell L-E-W-Y, you're not going to find it. Right. So that's that's primary. And um, and the other thing was that that uh, caregivers, you know, as a caregiver, and I'm sure Susie, you you experienced this, that as a caregiver, there are so many things that you want to share because you know that there's somebody out there feeling that they're the only people on earth who are dealing with this. You feel so alone, so isolated. And my, my real reason for writing this book was to let caregivers know that they are not alone. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. We're here for you. And there are things you can do to be helped and to help those you love.
0: Absolutely. I'm very impressed with you because the fact that you, leaned in so quickly that you had the instinct to lean in and say you knew something was wrong you didn't know what it was but instead of pushing back like uh, you know in relationship we say what are you talking about I I gave you you should have had the address you could have looked it up whatever instead you your intuition kicked in and you leaned in right away how why do you think that happened
2: I think it happened because this is a man that I loved very deeply, that I love very deeply. And I had known him for a very long time. We had met in 1973. We were friends for 10 years. He was married to someone else. And when they amicably divorced, he and I got together. We were together for 34 years. And at uh, in year 34 of being together, I was beginning to notice all these, these signs and symptoms. And at that point um, I said to Nikki, you know, I think we should get married. And he looked at me and he said, I have been asking you for 34 years to marry (laughs) me. And your answer has always been no. Why spoil something that's perfect? Which is true. That's exactly what I said. (laughs) And he said, so what's your hurry now? And I gulped. And I said, well, we're not getting any younger. We were both in our seventies at the time. And uh, we love each other very much. So why not? What I didn't say was, I'm really frightened that something is happening and I want to be here to protect you.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: So the instinct kicks in. You know somebody so well that you know what's going to give them comfort and you know it's going to agitate. And in that moment in Vienna, when I looked into his eyes, there was no way that I wanted to be the agitator. Right. On the contrary. I'll take the I'll take the the hit right. because what what does it serve to argue it serves nothing nothing
0: but but still you and maybe it was the years that you had together and maybe it was the years the year that you the age that you had arrived at at that point because I cringed and I knew my mother and of course my mother wasn't my my partner but she was one of the loves of my life and I felt very close to her and I knew I was the only one that saw the signs early and you know it right. was poo-pooed by everybody else but I also thought I had delusions of grandeur that I was going to fix it, you know. And I, oh, saw- well,
2: you know, children yeah. do that. I I had that with my dad when mm-hmm. I was ten. I I was told by the rehabilitation center where he spent two years that um, when the insurance money ran out, I might add that I, the now eleven year old, could be the the person to help train my father, especially in the area of speech. Now, today, of course, that wouldn't happen because no child should be entrusted with doing that with a parent. But I was just the kind of kid that thought, yes, I can do this. I can make my dad speak. Now, what we didn't know, he didn't know, I didn't know. And to be fair, the rehab people didn't know, nor did the doctors, that both speech centers had been knocked out. The alternate, you know, when you have a stroke, you can very often train another part of your brain. It, the damage was so extensive that it was impossible. So I had had all those years back there, uh, the the time to, to be that impatient child, to think that I could do it, I could make the difference. By the time I was in my seventies, I knew that patience was an absolute must and that I had to make the situation gentle.
0: Beautiful, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I I love that. It takes, you know, it it I, I think a lot of us it takes time to to understand the disease that we're dealing with and to do what's best for the person that's living with it because they don't have control. We have
2: control. And, Absolutely. And that's what I learned. But you but you just hit something really important where they can have control you must allow that leeway monitor it. Of course, you're not going to put someone in danger, but allow them to feel at least that they're in control because nobody wants to be controlled hundred percent of the time. It's about dignity, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about preserving someone's dignity. And, and Nikki said to me, when he was diagnosed, he said three things. The first was I've always wanted to meet your father and now I'll have my chance, Aww. which meant he mm. knew he was dying. Yeah. The second was, Mary Lou, we have had a great run. We cannot be sad. Aww. And the third was, please help me to maintain my dignity.
0: Oh, what a guy. Nice. What a guy. He is so incredible. It's beautiful. When, I had mean, such a yeah. gift that he gave you and, and that you gave each
2: other. It was just so beautiful. I am. Um, you're right. I mean, I live by those words. Yeah. We've had a great run. We cannot be sad. And to this day, I cannot be sad. Do I cry? Sure, I do yeah. here and there. But am I sad? No, absolutely not. No, it's beautiful.
0: My mother's my mother gave me a gift similar. She said to me, When I go, I want you to know I've don't do not be don't be sad because i've done it all done everything i wanted to do been there traveled loved lost loved again and had everything i ever wanted and you know so just know and and yeah. i i hold that close to me and she also never wanted to be a burden to me and um i never yeah. wanted her to feel like a burden to me because she wasn't
2: because that's no, and, yeah and as a caregiver i think that it's really important to not let the person you're caring for see the sadness or see the frustration or sometimes the anger it's all there it's going, that's human but in front of the person it has to be love yeah. that takes over i mean your your podcast is so aptly named love conquers Alzheimer's. I mean, what a beautiful concept because it is, it, at the end of the day, it is love yeah. that's at the bottom of all of this. Yeah. And without that, you know, it, it doesn't work.
0: It doesn't work. Right. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent. I, don will tell you uh, during last year when my mom was, was going through her final journeys and and even before that, when I would go to visit her, and sometimes I would just miss the old mom. And I knew she was frustrated and I would throw my arms around her and I would I tears would come out, but I wouldn't back up until they were gone because I'd never wanted her to think I was
2: sad. Ever. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, when when you- when you're dealing with all of these dementias you're also dealing with with the physical aspects of all of it especially toward the end which are not pleasant i mean you're dealing with with incontinence and you're dealing with all these things that nobody talks about I very know. hard to get people to talk about them which is why i write about them i don't i don't hold back on any of it mm-hmm. but the person who's going through it doesn't need the extra angst of mm-hmm. knowing that you have cleanup duty for instance and so i would say things like Nick, that's what washing machines are for. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, it's fine. It happens to all of us. I mean, just anything to make it okay. Right. Because that's really important. So important. And, yeah. And, yeah. You, know,
1: you say and, that. And, uh, yeah, I know. I just wanted to, to touch back. You know, you talked about, you know, the in and out of it and how that no. was kind of a curse. I mean, for some people who who uh, are dealing with people with Alzheimer's, they say, oh, I would love to have them back for a day. That would be amazing. But and I can understand the frustration that it would cause. But was there a knowledge? Did he have knowledge of how he was on the other? Does he re, did? Did he have, did he talk about it? Like, I feel like this, or I felt like this. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Nikki knew. He knew so much about what was going on that actually two months before he actually passed, he wrote a poem that I found three months after he died. It was in a sketchbook. You know, he was an artist, so he he always was sketching and he had a sketchbook. And I'd looked at the sketchbook and I didn't see this poem. And three months after he died, I went back to the sketchbook, and I'm flipping through it one morning, and I go through a bunch of blank pages, and I come upon this poem that describes what it feels like to have your descent into Lewy body dementia. It took my breath away. It was so articulate. It was so brilliant, and it basically described that when our love was new, it was all fun and games and exciting and wonderful. And then shortly, not shortly thereafter, many years thereafter, we were invaded by a third party who would periodically take over. And this person was very unwelcome. And when he, Nikki, looked in the mirror, the horror that he saw was himself. Hmm. Wow. Done much more, much more eloquently than I just uh, shared it. But I I put it in the book. I didn't see it coming, Scenes of Love, Loss, and Louis Body Dementia, because it is the clearest picture of what someone is going through that I have ever heard.
1: Which means that people who have Alzheimer's who don't have those moments of clarity are probably feeling that all the time. Maybe because they can't they can't verbalize it, but but it could be, I'm, I'm just guessing at that, but.
2: It could be, we, we don't know. We don't. But in the case of Louis body, we did know. And, and to your point about coming back, you know, is it a blessing? Is it a curse? It's for me, it was a blessing because I would see Nikki again before he left again. But for him, I'm not sure that it was such a blessing. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Right. I hear you so much. That resonates so deeply because I think for me, and I've talked to a lot of caregivers, obviously with that, have worked, you know, with people with dementia and those moments of lucidity are, our gifts for, uh, you know, for in the, in the long yes. run, they are the gifts that we get like, you know, a month and a half before my mom died out of nowhere, she wasn't talking. She had been through so much, you know, in and out of the hospital and, Dawn was there and I just we were I was doing my dog and pony show like I do singing every Tom Jones song I could and every every Lay Mis song I could. And out of nowhere, my mom just clear as a bell said, I love you. Oh,
1: and that was the last thing she said ever.
0: And I know how hard that was for her. I said to her that you just ran a marathon because for her to get those words, pull them down get them to the, you know, the mechanicals of it, just that, without forgetting, I was spent, I was like, that's it, that was her gift to me.
2: That's the gift of a lifetime, Susie, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, yeah, that that is so beautiful, yeah, what what a gift, period, at the end, yes, that was it,
0: it. and she worked, I know that that was so hard for her, but she had to tell me, she yeah. had to tell me, and whether she knows it was Susie or not, but I think she does. I think she did because she lit in her up heart, my in. in her heart. It was somebody that she loved,
2: and and that was me. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. And and as a caregiver, you know, when you stop to think about the gift that we're given, given uh, as caregivers, yes, it's hard. I'm not going to sit here and and say, "Gee, it's 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 easy." It's not. It's hell. It is. But oh. but at the end of the road that you've been given the privilege of caring for someone you love, that's the gift. Yep. And it will never, it, it, it will always be part of you.
0: I agree. I mean, coming on the other side of this, like you, I feel like what could be more important than that? Nothing,
2: nothing, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It is the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Me too. Starting with my dad, being able to care for him as a child. Yeah. Then turning, parlaying that that caregiving into actually a profession. You know, I, I basically went from being a singer, professional singer, to actually opening a business in public relations, which took care of artists that I thought were great artists. And that's a form of caregiving. It sure is. It never stops, right? Yeah. And then the ultimate gift in caregiving for the person that you love most in the world. Yes, that's a gift.
1: But you continue your caregiving because you're now caregiving for everyone else by sharing your stories. So, you know, many people, once they're done with it, they want to kind of like go, I'm done with it. Because it's so hard. And and I'm not passing judgment on them because not at all. But you and Susie and, and, and others like you who are sharing this with the world right now, that is, can your caregiving has continued?
2: I think that, you know, everyone has to search their own heart and soul. And, and as you said, it's not for everyone. Everyone can't do what, what uh, we're doing or would want to. I, I have always felt that um, I've always felt I had a fourth act. You know, I, I, I alluded to the fact that I I sang, I taught, I I, uh, was a teacher for many years and and then opened this public relations business, which I'd done for 50 years. But at the end of the day, I always thought, what's going to be my fourth act? I've had three acts. Now, what's my fourth act? And I kept probing that. And then all of a sudden, the sun came out and I knew what my fourth act was. And it was giving back, in a way that the universe had given to me. I'd been given the gifts of knowledge, of of ferreting out information, of knowing about things that needed to be exposed, that needed to be out there. And now it was my turn to take all of that, synthesize it in the form of a book and give it back. If it helps one person out there, then I have done my job.
0: I love it. You're, you're, such you're, doing elegant,
1: your job. <laughs> you're such an
0: elegant accomplished woman that I I just admire you so much just everything about you you're just the epitome of class and mm-hmm. and and just ele- you're very
2: sweet yeah it's funny when when I I I am a publicist as I mentioned uh, for 50 years but I hired a publicity firm when this book was coming out and we were on a Zoom call and they said to me so what is it that you want to achieve with this book and I gave an answer and they all laughed hysterically, and then they stopped laughing because they realized I was serious. And I said, "I wish to become the queen of the geriatric set." <laughs> and it's it's true. And why not? I mean, I, and why, why not? not? Right? That's I'm right. 78 years old, and I can do this. And I can go out there and talk to other 78 year olds, and say, you know what, folks, this can be a journey of a lifetime. If you allow it to be right. And here are some helpful hints of how to not only care for your loved one, but care for yourself in the process. That is so important. The caregiver has to take care of himself or herself. Otherwise you cannot be useful to the person who needs you.
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm searching my notes here because you used a term about your book. And about, and it was a musical term that it's a German term. Late, Oh, leitmotif.
2: Leitmotif. leitmotif.
0: Can you talk about that? Because I love that so much.
2: I said that the leitmotifs of my life became um, basically communication and music. And what leitmotif means is the running thread, the through thread of your life. And I never abandoned the music. And I never abandoned the communication. Mm-hmm. Those are the threads that have have been my cushion in life, and and the air cushion that I have floated on.
0: Wow, I love that. I love a good thread. I,
2: <laughs> I said, <laughs> it's, we're you know,
0: filmmakers. Don and I are filmmakers and and writers, and and we you know, those are those are those are the those are the gifts of your stories. You know, is that are those incredibly. Uh, powerful threads that that resonate and transcend everything. This yeah,
2: absolutely. When I started writing, I I started with the idea that this was going to be about Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, dementia in general, and Lewy body in specific, and about caregivers. And I was I front loaded it all with all of this, and then a very wise editor looked at me and she said, "You know, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to avoid the words I, me, and my." However, if we don't care about you, we are never going to care about the disease that you want us to care about. That's right. So go back to the drawing board and put yourself into this book, which is probably the most challenging thing I've ever had to do, which is go like this, you know, okay, I'm ripping myself open, right? warts and all, right. here's my story, Right. Yeah. but only because... It will bring you to where I want you to go, which is knowing about dementia, the umbrella, all the spokes that come off of it, Alzheimer's, Lewy body, vascular dementia, uh, frontotemporal, all of those things, and then knowing what to do as a caregiver. Right.
1: And, and from a human perspective, because, all you know, the information that it's similar to our documentary we're doing, we could put out all this information and it's like, and so what? But it's got to be, you have to have the spine or the, of the heart and the personal story or no one is going to care.
2: Exactly. And, and you have yeah. to laugh. I mean, you know, you just cannot mm-hmm. be a sad journey where you just weep through the whole thing. You have to laugh. You have to have compassion. You have to have the joy because it's all there it's all part of it you can't separate it out you know just angst yeah oh, that's part of it i mean let's let's be realistic but right. that's not all of it
0: no and that's angst is part of every kind every part of our life there's angst yeah. and you know this is just a new you know this is a different kind and and it's hard and but but we but we can we can we can do it. We have. The, we can do it if we stay. If we stick to it.
2: Yes, and and also there are organizations that are so helpful in in the area of of Alzheimer's, for instance. Caring Kind is a, a phenomenal organization where I went first. Actually, I went to them. They're they're located in New York, and they offered all these free classes about dementia, about caregiving, about how you treat people. I learned so, so much. And they in turn introduced me to an organization called the Louis Body Dementia Resource Center, mm. which is just what it sounds. It, it There are resources, people who will help you navigate and support groups. And everybody needs that to some degree. You're not going to do this as a solo act. No. It doesn't work that way. And yet people that you, you perhaps that thought you could count on, Some family members, maybe real close friends, some of them will be there for you 1 million percent. Others, for whatever reasons they have, namely fear, can't be there. And somewhere along the line, one has to learn to forgive the fact that they can't be with you because they can't. Now,
1: I I think sometimes, I think that comes often from people who don't know. How they, they don't know what to say to you. They don't know how, how should right. they deal with you? And so they just, you know, they just say, okay, I'm just not going to deal with it at all. And so how do you coming from you, let's say you're in the midst of and, and a friend who doesn't know how to talk to you, they don't know do they do you want to talk about it? Do you not want to talk about it? What can uh, you tell those people?
2: Oh, Don, that's such a great question. I think, first of all, um, and I'll I'll go firsthand uh into this. When Nikki was diagnosed, I said to him, and obviously at the beginning, you know, everybody's very lucid. We're not in trouble yet. We're just, you know, a little wonkiness here and there, but not real trouble. And I said, Nikki, let's make a decision together. Shall we tell people what this is and what you're going to be going, what you are going through, what you're going to be going through so that we don't have the little whispering behind our back? of people saying, you know, what's wrong with him? Because one day, as I mentioned, he'll look perfectly 100% Nikki, and the next day he won't. Mm -hmm. And so we made the decision to tell people what was going on, what could be expected down the road. And by doing that, it took a layer of fear out of it, number one. Secondly, then people weren't afraid to be with us. And I would say quietly, not in front of Nikki, uh, look, when Nikki gets stuck for words, when he's having a problem, just sit quietly. Don't try to finish his sentences. He'll come, he'll come back and we'll continue. Or I'll interject a word or two which will bring him back. We'll we'll work this as a duet or a trio or a quartet. We can do this. And that's what we did. I would never have more than four people sitting at the table, including the two of us and two other people. Mm-hmm. Too many people confuse the issue. Right. You don't do that. You you When when you would go into a social situation, I would make sure that somebody there, if I had to work, for instance, in, in a gathering, um, in something I was presenting, but I wanted him to be there for the joy of, of being part of it. Friends would come over, amazing friends, usually younger friends, mm-hmm. young people in their thirties would come over and surround him so that he'd be protected
0: oh. and
2: they would look out for him. You know, th- this is what good friends do. This is what you set up right. with people right. and give them permission to be part of your life right. Right. and not to be afraid of it. And 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 you can't do something wrong. It does nothing That that's wrong. If you're feeling it, you say it. If you're feeling it, you act it. You step in. You step up to the plate.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. So communicate. Yeah. We've kept it. We've we've kept these diseases hidden, and that's why most of us have been sucker punched when it happens because they have been so hidden, and there's been so much, you know, uh, marginalization and stigma attached because Alzheimer's was demented. It is, you know, these terms demented or, you know, senility and, and it, and which is equated with, you know, less than not good enough. And, or
1: crazy. Yeah,
2: or oh crazy. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Do, do you know, I actually had a nurse at um, Columbia Presbyterian hospital. She shall remain nameless, but when Nikki had his heart surgery, she looked at me and she said, uh, I'm not releasing him. And I said, why not? She said, because I think there's something wrong. Now she was right in that, but her, her manner was so autocratic, so awful. And um, I said, what is it going to take to release him? Because he needs to get out of here. And she said, a, um, a psychological exam. And I said, fine, bring it on. Th- the um, the uh, psychiatrist came in and he said, there's nothing wrong with this man. He was wrong, but there was, but nonetheless, About two or three months later, we encountered the same nurse who happened to be walking through our cardiologist's office. And she looked at me, Nikki was in the men's room, and she looked at me and she said, "Um, How are you? I said, Fine. And she said, Where is he doing that kind of a? Yeah. I was incensed. Just what you were saying, Don, you know, crazy. He wasn't crazy. He had a neurological disease. Right, right. That's not being crazy, and that's coming, from, this, a yeah. the,
1: that's coming from a nurse. But this is
0: the But this is prevalent. But this is why we're doing our documentary because because it, everything has been kept, you know, all it's been pushed aside. It's not looked at. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. It's not. It's it's not youthful. And so yeah. it becomes, it becomes, you know, you, it, it's put away in a closet. And so when you are faced with it as a caregiver or as the person who is being, who is, you know, has been overtaken by this, this disease, then we are left to figure it out on our own more or less, you know, even doctors don't really, there's not a lot of specialists. There's some, and so yes, but- it needs to be more. It needs to be more open. Children need to be exposed to it. So they're not afraid.
2: Thank you for saying that. Because uh, I had two very young friends, ages 12 and 14, who came to visit me with their mom, who is in the medical profession. And and, uh, we spent three hours over lunch, two little boys. And they said to me at the end of lunch, would you do a podcast with us? I said, sure. Because we'd like to help promote your book," said they. Oh my! Kind of amazing. (laughs) Now I had seen a I had seen a three minute video that they did on ALS, which was cartoons. They'd done it all. They were remarkable. They're very bright children, obviously. They put a podcast together with me. They did it. They wrote the questions. They interviewed. They commented on my answers. It's twenty six minutes on Lewy body dementia. I have to tell you, it is one of the most exciting things I have ever had the privilege of doing with a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. Why? Because they did it for children their age.
0: Love it. Mm-hmm. I love and that I said so them, much.
2: How, how young is too young to, to probe this? They said, well, you have to be eight years old or over <laughs> to get it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. Wow.
1: Very specific. <laughs> very
2: specific so they they have a youtube channel called simply brain and they had these two now pieces on their youtube channel and it's remarkable
0: i love it wow. i need to talk to these boys we I do love because it. Yeah, yeah i love the it so ages much.
1: The, yeah because it's the like, ageism and ableism out there is is rampant so and it's coming and yes. it's and that's I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily start with children because they just don't know. I mean, it's more coming from the adults. But if we can educate from the beginning, from the very beginning, right. you know, that the the because
2: the, you know they don't have to understand the ins and outs of the disease. But what no. they, what they can learn is to be patient. What they can learn is to be kind. Oh yeah. What they can learn is to be compassionate and loving, that that a hug means more than anything to an elderly aunt or grandparent who's dealing with some issues. Right. You know, this is what they can learn.
0: No, absolutely. When my mother was, was um, in a facility and there was children that were there with the caregivers that worked there, they would come on the weekend. And those kids that there was a couple five-year-olds, a couple six-year-olds, and they were so used to the residents. They had no problem with the the repetition, the, you know, the, the hallucinatory kinds of things. They would just, they would go right into action. Like it was part of their day. It was normal and they would help Jack go find, you know, whatever he needed and they would diffuse the situation. It was very instinctual and, and it was, it's very beautiful. Whereas I remember bringing my friend to visit my mom with her little girl who was three and four, three or four at the time and she was so nervous and scared because she hadn't been around older people or people who had you know acuities.
2: And you you have to be taught fear don't you? Yeah. I mean fear you don't come in with fear.
0: No. And and I
2: remember in Nikki's last week of life, he we had a three-year-old godson at the time. And Andrew loved Nikki. And he would come in with, hello, Pirate Nikki," And Nikki would say, hello, Pirate Andrew. On this particular day, a week before Nikki passed, Andrew came in with his usual greeting and recognized that Nikki couldn't answer and went and knelt at his feet and hugged his knees, put his head on his lap, stayed that way for a good minute or two, and then went and played very quietly next to him by himself. Now, That child was taught to be open, not to be fearful. I got, bless his mother, who's our niece, Amanda. And and I loved her for that, that she would bring the child in, knowing that it would be meaningful to Nikki on some level, that Andrew would never forget it. And Andrew hasn't forgotten it. To this day, he's now almost seven. and, And he still will say things like, he'll bring me something, a drawing that he's done or a piece of art, and he'll say, do you think that I maybe will become an artist like Uncle Nicky? Totally unprompted, but that, he remembers.
0: It's like mm-hmm. Don, Don knows what I'm going to say, because when my mom was going through her last journey, the last six months last year, and my I have my granddaughter who was two, who had only seen my mom because of COVID on, on Zoom, right? And when we finally got to go get her in that room, and my mom was a bit fragile at the time. And um, Eden was two years old and Eden, my mom wasn't speaking at the time. And she climbed up into the bed very gently and she, we called her nanny and she, she laid her head on her shoulder and was patting her and going, Oh, nanny, 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 nanny. And then she would look back up to make check in with her face to see what nanny's face was doing. And then my mom would go, to her and then Aww. she would go to my mom and then laugh and then lay her head down and then look back up lay her head down and the two of them had a whole conversation without that,
1: saying a word without saying a word
0: <laughs> and to this day my little one who's turning four next month says tells me all the time that nanny normie talks to her and she's around and she knows and what does she do it she tells me and she didn't know she was a singer she said oh she sings to me all the time and she says I love you
2: you know, I, I do believe that there is communication that we can't explain. It's there. And God bless that little one. And you just said granddaughter?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: wow. <laughs> no way in the world would I guess you had a granddaughter. So.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Bless your heart. I have two. I have one just turned one uh, this weekend. So I have oh, with two little beauties and, um, and I have two daughters. And so now we have four girls and boy, all the men in our life are in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. <laughs> but oh. this little one, Eden, you know, her, like you said, with, with your, your nephew, there is a connection that will be there always. And, and that's what I wanted to, you know, I want to communicate that to everybody that how important is those last months days weeks what year whatever it is that someone has left in their life is so important to them and to all of us because we are all terminal and we're all on borrowed time and we don't know what tomorrow brings so we we deserve to be able to have the quality of whatever's left and whatever you know, those are special moments. And that, and had I not been advocating for my mom, she would not have had that moment with my with Eden, and nor would Eden have those lifelong memories.
2: Exactly, and and I love your use of the word "we." It's always we and our because I I too embrace that with it. It's our journey. It's our illness. Yes, it's, it's not his illness or her illness. It's we because we're all in this together mm-hmm. and that's an incredibly important thing to remember.
0: Thank you. I I agree with you on that. Um, I have to share my uh, short film that I did about my mom that Valerie Harper plays her. It was a short film and it was basically a day in the life of when she lived with me. and it was that period of time in Alzheimer's where it you know you there I say that she's straddling the fence of staying in her old life and embracing her new and i felt very proud of of walking her over that bridge and being able to be there with her which i believe was the hardest period of time for her emotionally and um i wanted to show the joys that we found together and how we we stumbled together and found them and valerie harper played it gorgeously and with such soul and such humor and 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 heart and everything. And so that was, you know, I I told I would tell my mom, I said, Mommy, I'm doing a film about you. Why? You say, because you're incredible. And she'd go, Well, that's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the humor never left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. So I just, yeah. I just love it. I just, you know, and for those of us who have the privilege of continuing the memory. Of those people that we we were dear to and they to us it it's just it's such a, a a wonderful journey to be able to continue
1: and it should be an honor it's an honor to to do that you Absolutely. know for for them exactly. i mean you know the, what what kind of what's the better best gift you could possibly give than that
2: legacy mm-hmm. legacy
0: legacy legacy yeah. is huge Big, since yeah Wow, I just love ever... you so much. You're such a great woman. You're so oh, awesome. Oh, you're very sweet. Yeah, so... you are. You're so you're so unique and so so special. And I'm proud to know you. So thank you for you're being great. on the show, show.
2: thank you. Thank you so much. Don, thank yeah. you. I it's it's a privilege to be here. And and I I hope that I didn't see it coming. Scenes of love, loss, and louis body dementia will be out there to help. Others know that they are not alone.
0: Definitely, thanks not to longer. you. Yeah, I, I <laughs> highly recommend this book. It and you only know have to know by listening to this woman that you're going to get the real story and the real love and the real journey and nothing's going to be held back and it's going to and it's mm-hmm. a beautiful trip. So, you know, I I I thank you for writing it. And, um, and sharing it with all of us. Did we leave anything out that you wanted to say that, that we might have missed?
2: No, just please make love the centerpiece of your life. You'll never regret it.
0: I had to hold back tears like 17 times, Don. Like, yeah, woman touches my heart so much. I can't even take it. Wow. Like, I love her so much.
1: Just, I mean, not only, I mean, her heart, her class, everything uh, her, her story just everything about everything her. about yeah.
0: her I just want I want to know her I want to talk to her so much and I want to hear her sing Holy moly exactly Holy moly <laughs> oh my God that her story
1: wow.
0: with well we won't give it away because that was stuff that we talked about after we stopped but read this book you all and uh it's got to be a movie it's gonna be a movie it's yes. it's that special it's that special
1: it's it's tremendous. And and different too, because yeah. you know, we you know, we talk about Alzheimer's all the time and Louis Body is so different. I mean, it's so yeah. similar in many ways, but, but, but also so it's different.
0: Hard, it can, can be really brutal. There's parts of it, you know, mm-hmm. I know that can get that get very brutal because it it hits the physical really hard. And um, yeah. but um, anyway, this was great. I was so was. Excited that we had her and someone else who also saw the, the the value and the magic of music. What could be better and the magic of love, like she said, right?
1: And there's only one reason for that. And that is that love is powerful. Love is contagious and love conquers all. So we thank everybody for watching, listening. Uh, Please like us and subscribe and do all those fun things. Share. And uh, if you if you have the mind, we're still uh, raising money for our our documentary, No Country for Old People. And we'd be happy for you to be part of our uh, our community and join in on that, too. Absolutely.
0: Have a good one. You all talk and we'll see you next time.
1: Take care. Bye bye. Bye.